look at this morning. Our response to God's grace. Our response to freedom. Turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians chapter, actually chapter 5, but we're going to back up one verse. We're actually going to read two verses that I preached on last Sunday. Galatians, turn to Galatians chapter 4, verse 31. The last verse of chapter 4. Kind of pick up where we left off last week. Galatians chapter 4, verse 31. It says, So then, brethren, we are not children of a bondwoman, but of the free woman. Meaning, if you were with us last week, we are not under law, but we are under grace. We are under grace. And, and it was in this, in this grace that God gives us freedom. Well, what's this freedom? Chap, look at chapter 5, verse 1. It says, It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Chapter 5 of Galatians is the Christian's response to what Paul has been preaching and teaching us in Galatians chapter 1, uh, chapter 1 through 4. And so this whole chapter is our response. But we're only going to go halfway through it. We're only going to make our way to verse 12 this morning. And the second half, part 2 of my message will be next week. And next week is the big part. Our response to grace will be living a spirit-filled life. But we're going to look at some fundamental truths in our response to freedom. How many of you guys appreciate freedom? We love our freedom. When you hear the word freedom, you think red, white, and blue. You, you, you think our country. You think the, about the American flag. I want to introduce a statue to you if you don't already know about this statue. In the early 1800s, Thomas Crawford designed and sculpted a 20-foot statue of a female figure wearing a military helmet and holding a sheathed sword in her right hand and a laurel wreath and a shield in her left hand. In 1863, this statue was transported from Rome, Italy to the United States. And on December 2nd, 1863, she was placed on the dome of the U.S. Capitol. Originally, she was named Freedom's Triumph in War and Peace. But today, she is known as the Statue of Freedom, or some people call her Lady Liberty on top of the Capitol of the United States. But you know, we have icons all across the United States. Here in Columbia, and everywhere we go, there's icons of our freedom. Because we as Americans, we love and we cherish our freedom. But then there's people that are icons that stand for our freedom. Introduce you to a couple men. Meet, there's, there's actually one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, nine. There's ten guys up here. I'm going to mention four of them. All of them passed away in 2005. But I'm going to introduce, to, introduce you to four of them. They were Marcus Luttrell, Michael Murphy, Danny Dietz, and Matthew Axelton. They were Navy SEALs. They were, they were part of Operation Red, Red Wing. On June 28, 2005, uh, this was probably the worst day in U.S. Special Forces operation, on the mountain slopes in the Kanar province of Afghanistan, these men got into a gunfight with nearly 100 Taliban fighters. Three of the four SEALs were killed. A QRF helicopter was sent in with the rest of the guys came in and uh, for their aid 
and it was shot down with a rocket-propelled grenade launcher, an RPG-7, killing all eight U.S. Navy SEALs and all eight U.S. Army Special Operations aviators on board. These guys gave their life for us, and they are part of the American way. They, just like Lady Liberty was a, a statue of an icon of our freedom, so these men stand throughout all time, for the rest of the time, here on earth in the United States as symbols of our freedom. What does Lady Liberty, what do these men, how do they speak to us when we see them? It's, you know what it is. It speaks to us of our freedom, our liberty that we have as, 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 as U.S. citizens, as Americans. And what do they do? What does Lady I said Lady Liberty, I meant Lady Freedom. But what does Lady Freedom and these men speak to us? What, what do they do? They command a response. They command a response as, as, as citizens and as people of the U.S. That response is patriotism, thankfulness, and respect for what our nation stands for and what has been done for us in this world that enables us to have the freedoms we have. Because not everybody around the world has the same freedoms that we do. Now, let's move it over to the Bible. In Galatians chapter 1, in Galatians chapter 1 through 4, Paul has been preaching to us and teaching us about the freedom and the liberty that is in Christ Jesus. And he's been preaching to us and teaching us about the freedom and the liberty this hours through grace. How do we respond? How do, how do we respond? What's our response to God's amazing grace? What's our response to the freedom that he has offered us? Well, praise the Lord. I'm thankful that God gives, it to, gives, it to, gives us a response in Galatians chapter 5. How will you respond before we begin teaching this passage? How will you respond to God and his grace and his mercy? And giving you specifically, because what Paul was preaching on last week, specifically how you respond to the freedom that you have in Christ Jesus. How do you respond? Do you even understand the concept? How do we respond to freedom? That's what we're looking at this morning. And I believe that's what the Apostle Paul is laying out for us here in Galatians chapter 5. Y'all ready to dig into it? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for um, Galatians chapter 5 specifically, Lord that it gives us our response to you for the freedom, for you breaking the chains, for you, for you setting us free, for you giving us liberty, giving us freedom, giving us new life. Help us to respond to you, Lord, as your scripture and your word says. In Jesus' name I pray, Father. Amen. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Let's take a look at it. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm, and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Now, the first question we have to ask ourselves here, so that we're all on the same page, is what is the freedom that the Apostle Paul is talking about? What is the freedom? Because that could be construed in, that could, you can make up your definition. That has, there's so many different meanings. That, but what is the biblical definition of freedom? The biblical definition of freedom is the freedom, number one, the freedom to be in a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ apart from the law. In other words, to not to be under a legalistic system, but to be under grace. That's number one. 
That's the first freedom he's talking about. But as you read this whole chapter and he goes into the fruits of the Spirit and he talks about um, the flesh, he also brings in another, another freedom, and that is the freedom from the bondage of sin. He can and he will, if you will surrender it to him, break the chains and, and break us free from the old habits, the old addictions, the old sin. He will but we got to surrender to him, and we got to submit to him. And then it says, uh, it says, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm. That word, keep standing firm, means to be unmovable, to be planted, uh, to, to not be shaken. we got to stand firm in our faith. we got to stand firm in our walk with Christ. And let nothing move us. Let nothing shake us. And it says, and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. What was a yoke back in the Bible days? It was a wooden beam that was put across two animals' necks. It was meant to control them, to put them into subjection. So they would do not as they wanted to do, but as their master would want to do. It was, it was a picture of bondage and uh, subjection to the animals by the owners. The Bible talks about three yokes. There's three yokes in Scripture. The first two you don't want to be under. The third one you want to be under. The first yoke is legalism. Legalism says, I will be in a right relationship with God based on my good works. Uh, legalism says, I'm going to obey the law, and based on my obedience to the law, I will be in a right relationship. That is a yoke. Why? Because it's, it's, it's impossible. Because we've all sinned. And we've all uh, fallen short of God's glory. What the law, what the, what actually what the, the, the law does to you, if you subject yourself, if you say my relationship with God is not based on faith in Jesus, but it's, it's based on the law, basically what's going to happen in the end is the law is going to say you will never live up. You will never live up. You will not make it because you're going to be aware of how you break it. The second yoke in Scripture the scripture talks about is sin. Sin. Sin deceives us. It deceives us. It, it, it blinds us. And ultimately it destroys our lives. That's what sin does. It steals, it kills, it destroys, and, and it tears apart our life. And it takes, it, 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 it wrecks our life. It keeps us from doing the things that God has for us. It keeps us in subjection. It keeps us under a yoke of... Uh, Slavery, he says at the end of Galatians 5.1, that's what sin does. Those two yokes we don't want to be under. Those are the yokes that Christ came to set us free. But my friend, there is a yoke that we, we want to be under, that we want to be subjected to. Jesus spoke of it. Matthew chapter 11, he says, uh, verse 29 and 30, he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light sin weighs us down it wrecks our lives the yoke of legalism says you'll never make it but what does Jesus say right there in Matthew chapter 11 he says I love those words you it doesn't say you might 
or could happen, or maybe whatever. He says, you will find rest for your souls. That's what Christianity is, is coming to Jesus Christ and being born again and taking on his yoke. You know why? Because you don't do the work. He did it at Calvary. He did it at Calvary, and he rose from the grave, and he works in us and through us by his Holy Spirit. And this yoke is not a burden. Christianity is not a burden. Because Christianity is not based on you. Christianity is based on what Christ did. Now, don't misunderstand that. That doesn't mean we can go out and live any way we want. There is a response. And we're going to be talking about that, our response this morning and next Sunday. We're going to be talking about our response to grace. God commands a response. Just like seeing the icons and the men and women who died for our country, and, and, and our response should be patriotism and freedom. God commands a response for the freedom that's been given to us in Jesus Christ. Let's continue. Verse 2. He says, uh, Paul says, Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. Now, the first thing I want you to realize and in, in, see in verse 2 is his opening word. He says, behold, behold. In other words, take hold of this truth. Mark what I say. In other words, Paul's saying, take this to the bank. These are truths that you can count on. They're fact. And the fact and the truth that he's, he's presenting to us is this. Legalism does not work. Legalism does not work to be in a right relationship with God. And what Paul is saying here is, if you go, okay, you want to be hard-headed, you don't want to listen to my word, if you want to go the way of circumcision and you want to go the way of the law, the Lord Jesus Christ and his work will be of no value. Yikes. That's scary. It will be of no value because you're placing your faith in your own good deeds in your own work. And God has made a way. He has provided the ultimate work that we are to trust in, which is the cross and the resurrection and who Jesus Christ is. He is our righteousness. Now, some Christians will evidently, they will say, you know what, I want to go back. They'll, they'll come to Christ and they'll, they'll be loving the Lord and then they'll think somehow or another, I've got to keep the law. I've got to start obeying the law. I've got to adopt the Mosaic law and, and all the rules and laws. And that's why he, wrote, he writes, look at verse 4. For Christians who want to go back, he says, You have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. He says, he says you have been severed. You have been severed. That word severed, means that you once, you once was joined, but now you're separate. And then he says, you've, and he, he, he doubles up on verse 4. He, he's driving home the point of, of going back to legalism. He says uh, at the very end of it, he says, you have fallen from grace. You have fallen from grace. Let me tell you what legalism does. When you walk, when you, when you walk a legalistic life and you walk in legalism, you're, you're diminishing the work of the cross. That's what legalism does. Legalism says, says that the cross was not enough. 
Ooh, that does not sound good at all, even coming off my lips. But that's what legalism says. It says the cross was not enough. Legalism says, God, I know you died on the cross and all that, but I think you need my help. I think you need my help. That's what legalism says. Legalism says, I think you need my help. It says that the the cross is is not enough. Why in verse 4? Because it says right there, smack dab in the middle of verse 4, their their issue was they were seeking to be justified by the law. There's no justification in the law. Remember what the law is? The law is a schoolmaster. The the law is a tutor. Uh, Galatians 3.19, it was added because of transgressions to point them to the Savior. To point them to Messiah. Verse 5. For we, okay, let me me stop right here. In in verses 2 and 4, Paul is saying, you, 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 you. I think it's four times he says you. But notice in verse 5, he's transitioning here. He says, for we. So now he's talking about the believers. He says, for we through the Spirit by faith are waiting for the hope of righteousness are waiting for the hope of righteousness. So principle number one on how to stand firm in the freedom of grace is this. You stand on the work of the cross. That's your response to grace. Your response to amazing grace and to what he's done for you is to say, in my life, in the life I live here on earth, I'm going to stand on the work of of the cross for my righteousness. For my righteousness. What you're saying to God and what you're saying to the world and what you're saying to yourself is this. When you do that, you're saying, I love this. The cross is sufficient. The cross is sufficient. It's sufficient for every sin. The cross is sufficient for every scar. The cross is um, sufficient for every sickness, for every failure. It's, 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 it's um, sufficient for our healing. It's sufficient for everything. It, it is the supreme sacrifice that he made, and it covers all. Isaiah 53, 5 says, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of, for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Do you see how in Christianity our response to grace is we take the focus off ourselves and we put it on Christ. We put it on him because it's him. It's all about him. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing that you and I can do to add to Calvary, to, to add to righteousness. Back um, a couple weeks ago when we were in Galatians chapter 2, in verse 16 of chapter 2, Paul says, Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Now, don't misunderstand me, okay? God's law is beautiful, We love God's law. We study God's law. We cherish God's law. We obey God's law. But it's not for righteousness. It's not for justification. That's where Calvary comes in. We study the law. We love the law. 
uh, we, we, we love it, we cherish it, we obey it, but it doesn't bring righteousness. It, it brings Christ at Calvary in his death and his resurrection is what brings righteousness. Verse 6. I, I love Paul, the Apostle Paul, he, he seems to be very understanding and, and very graceful even towards the Galatians that were being influenced by the Judaizers. Because look at what he says. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. In other words, the Apostle Paul and God, of course, he don't care if you're circumcised. He don't care if you're circumcised or you're uncircumcised. That doesn't matter. That doesn't matter either way. You, you can be a Jew or you can be a Gentile. It doesn't matter. The question is, do you have faith in him? Do, do you have faith in Jesus Christ? Do you have faith in his work? And to top it off there at the end of verse 6, not only do you, but do you have faith in him, but is your faith in Christ, is it producing a love for him? A love and, and, and a devotion to Christ. It says, oh God, I love you. You are so awesome. You are so amazing. So number one, we, 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 we build our life on the work of the cross. Number two, the number two way, how to stand firm in the freedom of grace. Number two is we stand in our love and devotion to Christ. We stand in our love and devotion. We, there, needs to, there should be a sincere, heartfelt commitment of love and devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's, it's more than just our head knowledge, but it's something that raptures our heart and we're consumed with a love for Jesus Christ and a love that's, that's so great that we say, I want to obey you. I want to follow you. Why? Why does a believer, why does a believer love God? Why does a believer love God? What has God done? What, what has God done? Listen to the psalmist, Psalms chapter 18, verses 1 through 3. Says, the psalmist says, I will love you. He's talking to God. I will love you. Well, King David, why do you love God? Why do you love him? He explains it. Oh, Lord, my strength. Because when he loves the Lord because when he is out of strength and he has no strength, God comes in and gives him his strength. He gives him his power. So number one, the psalmist says, because you are my strength. You give me strength when I have none. Verse 2 of Psalms chapter 18, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. The Lord Jesus Christ is a rock. That means that he is unmovable. He will not change. Hebrews 13, 8 says, He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is a firm foundation. He doesn't move. He doesn't change. James chapter 1 says, Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of the heavenly light where there is no shadow or turning. He's unmovable. He's always there, night and day. Uh, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. He's, he's unmovable. He's my fortress. He is, he is my fortress. I love that song it was, uh, by uh, Martin Luther. A mighty fortress 
is our God. It's a picture of being inside of a castle and being inside of a fortress, being surrounded and being protected. But a mighty fortress is the Lord Jesus Christ. God said, the psalmist says, I love you for that reason. You are my deliverer. He is our deliverer. That's another reason we love him. He delivers us from the bondage of sin. He delivers us from uh, the curse of the law. And he puts us in a right relationship. And he delivers us. It means he, we, have, we have shackles on when we come to Christ. You have shackles on before you come to Christ. You're in chain. He removes the shackles and he delivers you from darkness into light. It says, my God is my strength in whom I will trust. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation. A shield. The Lord Jesus Christ is our shield. When we go through tough times and times are, are rough, we lift up the shield of faith and put our faith in Jesus. That's another reason why we love him. He, he is my shield and the horn of my salvation. He is our salvation. He is our salvation. When we stand before him in glory. He is our salvation. The, the, the son will look to the father and says, I paid the price for him. And he'll go to heaven. He is my stronghold. You know, I have, oh my goodness, all the things that, that have held me in my past back, all the things that were holding me down and keeping me from pursuing God's plan for my life, they were strongholds. But when I came to Christ, he became my stronghold. He is what drives me in life. In verse 3, I will call upon the, the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ is worthy. The Lamb of God who was slain from the foundation of the world, he was, he was slain so that we could be forgiven. And now he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he is worthy. This is why a believer loves the Lord. This is why you should love God, because he is all these things to you. Let's continue in Galatians chapter 5, verse 7. He says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. Leaven in scripture is a picture of sin. And sin, we are called and we are commanded to repent. We are called, commanded to repent, to forsake it, to turn away from it. Grace is not a license to sin. Grace is not a license to sin. Our freedom in the Lord Jesus Christ, our freedom that we're talking about, our freedom is not to live like we want. If you got that picture in your head, it's the wrong picture. Our, our freedom is to live holy, dedicated lives. Our, our freedom is, is we're free now to serve him because of grace and to obey his word. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. Peter said in 1 Peter 1.16, he says, You shall be holy, for I am holy. We're called to be obedient. And grace is not a license to continue in sin. It's a way out, to come out and to live separate, holy lives. So number three, number three if you're taking notes, how do we stand firm in the freedom of grace? Is we stand in our obedience. We stand in our obedience to God. This means that we do what the Bible says. We, we, we do what Scripture tells us to do, and we live obedient to those commands. And we, we obey His commands, and we obey His laws, not to be saved, but because we are saved, and we love Him. 
Our salvation came at the cross. Verse 10. Um, I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view. But the one who is disturbing you, you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. Here, the Apostle Paul is talking about our minds. He's talking about our minds. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view. He wants us, he wants you to understand grace. He wants you to understand grace. He wants you to understand the liberty that you have. He wants you to understand the freedom. And most importantly, he wants you to understand what your response should be to grace. And he says, you know, we we need to understand it. And how do we understand it? By getting into the word and letting the word wash us and cleanse us and teach us so that our minds so that, we, so that you and I, just like the Galatians back then, will adopt no other view but be focused on him. Paul wants some focus. He wants some understanding grace. And in verse 11, But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Paul had no problem with circumcision. Paul had no problems with anybody being circumcised. Before Christ, after Christ. Matter of fact, he had Timothy in the book of Acts. He had Timothy um, circumcised. He had no problem with circumcision. You want to go get circumcised? Fine, go get circumcised. You want to obey the law? Fine, go obey the law. But don't base your righteousness on those acts. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Is what he's saying. And, and, And he says, and then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. Their stumbling block, the Judaizers' stumbling block, was that Paul was preaching the cross and the cross alone. And they were saying, Paul, we want you to preach the cross. We want you to preach the gospel, but you've got to add the law to it. You've got to add circumcision to it. In other words, you want to be saved? You need to obey the law, get circumcised, and believe in Jesus. And Paul says, that's not grace. That's not grace. Can you imagine an altar call today? I imagine we would have a lot of ladies coming to Christ and very few men. Because that would be a hard pill to swallow. To, you know, you want to get saved. Okay, you got to believe in Jesus. Rick or Jim or whoever, call Lexington Medical Center, get them an appointment. You got to go get circumcised. And then you got to obey the law. That wouldn't go over well. And it doesn't. It's never been that way. Because... Remember, works take away from grace. Works say, look at me. And God says, no, don't look at you. Look at my son. Look at my son and what he's did. Um, Yeah, so then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. Their their issue was was, um, the cross and the cross alone. They, They didn't like that. He says in verse 12, he says, I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. What? Wow. Paul is so passionate for the truth of the gospel and for grace. What he's saying in verse 12, hey, don't just go circumcised. Don't don't just get circumcised. Cut everything off. Make them sound like a girl is what he's saying. He said, hey, do that, go all the way. Number four, 
how to stand firm in the freedom of grace based on verses 11 and 12 is this. We defend grace. We defend grace. As believers who have been saved by grace, we defend the doctrine and the truth of how grace is taught in the New Testament. Ephesians 2.8, for you are saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. Our salvation responds to grace. We put our faith in Jesus. We turn from sin. We turn from sin, put our faith in Jesus, and we're saved. But then there is a response. Salvation is done. You're set. You, you have the righteousness of Christ. But then there's a response. Just like it was for our country when we, when we see um, fallen soldiers and we see these icons. They command a response from us. Well, the gospel of Jesus Christ commands a response from you when you hear grace. And that is to surrender your life to him. You're, you're basically saying, God, you've been so great, so magnificent, so wonderful in lavishing this grace on me and Jesus dying on the cross that I'm now going to live my life for you and I'm going to share this grace with the others. Amen? Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 is a response to grace. I've given you four responses. There's actually five responses, but we're going to spend next Sunday, the entire teaching of next Sunday is going to be spent, is going to be, uh, I'm going to be teaching on that fifth response. It's mentioned seven times in the uh, rest of Galatians chapter 5, and that is this, living a spirit-filled life. Living a spirit-filled life. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit came in. The Holy Spirit came into your heart. He came into your life, and he changed you. And the Holy Spirit does a work. He does a work that changes our hearts in response to grace. Amen? Let us pray. Father God in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for grace. Lord, I pray that um, you will show us and give us the courage and give us the strength, Lord, to see grace in all its beauty, to see your amazing grace, to see your sacrifice. And Lord, I pray that you will give us thankful hearts that will respond, that from moving out, from here forward, we, we base our righteousness on the work of the cross. We base our righteousness on the work of the cross and nothing that we do. Lord, we, we will respond to you in love, to, with love and devotion, like Mary Magdalene and the other ladies and the other disciples, that we will just love you and we'll follow that greatest commandment, which is to love you with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind. Lord, help us to, uh, to defend grace. Help us to live by grace. For it's in your Son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.